In a world where so much is going wrong, so many things are uncertain, and hope feels nowhere to be found, do you ever find yourself wondering where God is in all of this? It's normal to have questions about God sometimes. This Easter, we're ready to tackle some of these tough questions. Visit sagebrush.church Easter to check out all our service times and ways to watch at one of our physical locations, online, or on TV. Join us as we dive into the Easter story and the parts that doubt and hope can truly play in our lives. I want to welcome everybody here today, also those joining us on TV and on the stream. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family as well. Uh, on your way out or on your way in, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, you're probably going to get some Easter cards. If you would, pass those out to a friend or family member. Invite them to come to Easter. Uh, for those of you who can't make it, you live in another part of the state, you can just go to the app or the website. You'll see lots of opportunities to watch us online and on TV for the Easter weekend service. In fact, on Friday night, I believe, for between 6 and 7 o'clock, uh, we have bought up just about every station. I think we bought three stations. So if there, anybody's watching TV on Good Friday between 6 and 7, they're going to hear a message about Jesus rising again from the dead. So my apologies to the Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy people right now. Uh, it, it's Easter, so just put up with us for one weekend, all right? But we're excited about that. So please pass out those cards. For more information, go to our app or to our website. Also, i got to make mention of the Stages of the Cross. This is a walkthrough in interactive experience. Uh, this is for anybody to come. It's for your families to come with you. You're going to go into a room. You're going to learn what Jesus did on the last week of his life. What happened on that Sunday before Jesus died on Friday? What happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? All the way to Resurrection Sunday. And thousands of you took advantage of going through stages of the cross last year. You don't need a ticket this year, but for all the times and dates for your particular campus, just go to the app, Go to the website. You will be so glad that you experienced the stages of the cross to prepare you for the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. All right, we're finishing up our series today called Believe It or Not. Next week, we're going to begin a brand new series called Peace. We're going to talk about peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with others. But let's finish off, believe it or not, talking about angels and demons. Take a look at this. When you think of angels, what do you see? Charlie's angels? Clarence, the angel in It's a Wonderful Life? Angels and demons? Angels in the outfield? The Los Angeles angels? The blue angels? Hell's angels? Touched by an angel? The Bible talks about angels. We're told that we may be entertaining angels unaware. Angels have historically been surrounded by mystery. A lot of us probably wonder, are they real? Where do they come from? What do they look like? What do they do? Who are they? We are going to try and answer some of these questions and clear up some of the mystery surrounding these heavenly beings. So let's get into it today. In 1955, there were five missionaries that went to Ecuador, and they went deep into the jungle, and they found a group of people who had never heard about Jesus before. It was a tribe that was there. It was an unreached people group, and they desperately wanted to reach them and share the message of Jesus with these folks. Well, at first, they were very apprehensive about who these foreigners were, 
But over, the kind, over time and by giving gifts, they began to build a friendship. And over months, it appeared that everything was going really well. Well, something happened. And it made the leader of the tribe very, very anxious. And he ordered that all five of the missionaries be killed. And they were. When pictures came out on the newspapers and on the news of these five young men who had died for the cause of Christ, lying there on the beach in in these blood pools with spears sticking out of their bodies, I mean, the whole world was horrified over what had just taken place. And many missionary organizations were certain that this would probably be the end of missions. That people wouldn't go to other places and other countries because of the dangers involved in proclaiming that Jesus has risen again from the dead. But the opposite proved to be true. Thousands and thousands of people began to flood out onto the mission field. There was one particular girl. Her name was Rachel. She went back to the tribe along with some other missionaries to the tribe that had killed those five missionaries. Now, here's what's interesting about her story. Rachel was the sister of one of the five men who lost his life to those tribesmen. And so she goes there, she's learning the language, she's trying to build relationships with him, and over time they were able to communicate and explain about God's love for them, how Jesus came and died for them, rose again from the dead, and many of the people of that village gave their lives over to Jesus Christ. Well, she met one particular tribesman, his name was Chemo, and he was there the day that the five missionaries were killed. And of course, she had a lot of questions about that. And this is what Chemo said. He said, we heard singing. And she said, well, who who was singing? Were the five missionaries singing? She said, no, they were dead on the beach. We heard singing. She said, who was singing? He said, it was above the treetops. When we looked above the treetops, we saw these people, and they were singing, and there were flashlights all around them. That was the only word they had translated for the word bright lights. So here's the question I have for you. What did they see? Did they see angels up in the treetops? Are there such a thing as angels? Is there such a thing as as demons? Friends, we live in a physical world, right? It's a world that you can see and you can smell and you can taste and you can touch. But is there a spiritual world? Because the Bible teaches that there is. That God, Satan, angels, and demons are waging battles and war in this spiritual world that's just out of sight and just out of touch. Now, even though the Bible teaches that, did you know most people don't believe that to be true? Most people don't believe that to be true. Only 34% of people believe that there are actually angels. That's all, 34%. And 67% of angels, uh, 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 excuse me, 67% of adults believe that Satan isn't real. They say that there is a physical presence or an evil presence, but it's not manifested in one individual living being. So are there angels and are there demons? Is Satan real? Because the Bible claims that he is. I mean, all the way back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, we find Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and a serpent comes slithering up, and the serpent represents Satan in the story. It doesn't take him too long to convince Adam and Eve that God's holding out on them, that if they'll eat from the tree of, of good and evil, that they'll know the difference between what's right and what's wrong, and they can become their own God. And so Adam and Eve, they took the fruit. 
In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, the Bible tells us that Satan incited David to take a census. He wanted King David to, to buy into the fact of how great his troops were and to find his strength and his power in the number of his troops rather than the power of his great God. And God was offended that David would do that. In the New Testament, there's 25 different occasions where Jesus talks about Satan. Did you know that? Chip Ingram writes in his book, he says, uh, 25% of all of Jesus' actions, parables, his miracles that he performed, 25% had to do with demons. In fact, Jesus had his own personal encounter with Satan in the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and for 40 nights. What does the apostle Paul say about Satan? Did he believe that Satan was alive and well? This is what Paul warns us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, be obedient to God in everything in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. What did Peter have to say about Satan? He said, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Make no mistake about it, we're in a spiritual war, friends, and it's taking place all around us. So the question is this, what do angels do? And where did angels come from? And what about demons? Where are they from? And what do they do as well? Well, let me give you a brief overview of about angels. First thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Angels are created beings. They're created beings. Colossians 1.6 says this. This is speaking of Jesus. For by him, for by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So God created angels for a specific plan and for a specific purpose. I want you to get this. Angels are not humans. Humans are not angels. When you die, I'm sure you've heard this before, or when somebody dies, you probably heard someone say something like this, well, you know, they're up in heaven right now, and they've got their 15-foot angel wingspan, right? They've become angels now, and they're watching over us, right? Haven't you ever heard that? Somebody will win a big game or a sporting event, and they have a relative, a family member who passed away. They say, how are you feeling? They say, well, I just know so-and-so was watching over me right now. As if so-and-so doesn't have something better to do with their life than watch your boring existence. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. He's in the presence of God Almighty. He's going to say, hey, God, is listen, you're great. You're majestic. All praise and glory goes to you. But there's this baseball game my son's going to be pitching on Saturday. I think I ought to watch that instead. I don't think that's happening, right? But you've heard it, right? It says when someone dies, they become an angel. No, they don't. Angels are not humans. Humans are not angels. You ever heard this? They, they look over us, right? Our loved ones look over us. I don't know about you, but I don't want my Uncle Bob watching me 24-7 because there's some things I don't want Uncle Bob watching me do. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? Some of you will get that on the ride home. All right, let's move on. So angels are created beings. When we die, we do not become angels because angels are different from humans. Number two, angels are not to be worshipped. Gosh, years ago, 
This will show my age a little bit. There was a stupid show called Touched by an Angel. You remember that show? Some of you are like, I love that show. That was such a great show. I hated that stupid show. Anyway, Touched by an Angel. You know what happened as a result of that show? There was angel worship. People would go and they would buy angels and say, my guardian angel. And they'd worship angels and bow down to angels and pray to angels. Now, one place in Scripture where that's told us, where it tells us to do such a thing. Revelation chapter 22 John has seen some magnificent things. He's writing the vision of the end times down the book of Revelation. Gets to the last chapter. He's so blown away by what he's seen, by what he's experienced. And his tour guide has been this angel. This angel is majestic. This angel is beautiful. And finally, John is so overwhelmed by the presence of this angel, by the beauty of this angel, that he bows down before the angel and begins to worship the angel. What does the angel do in response? This is what the angel said. Don't worship me. I am your fellow servant, worship God. Every time in scripture, an angel points people to God. They never allow someone to worship them. Let me give another one. Angels are spirit beings. They're invisible for the most part. Unless they have a special assignment by God, and the Bible teaches us that they take the form, they look, they have the appearance of that as a human, so we won't be freaked out when we see them. Let me give you number four. Angels are a multitude who worship God. Revelation 5.11 says, And I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. There are literally millions and millions and millions of angels. Let me give you another one. Angels can't be in more than one place at one time. They're not like God. God can be everywhere all the time. Angels can only be in one particular location at one time. Let me tell you something else about angels. They don't know everything. They don't know everything. They're not all knowing. One of the things that they don't understand is why God cares about you and me. Did you know that? And that's not even a joke. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 tells us that angels look into the salvation of mankind and they're curious about it. It doesn't make any sense to them. They can't understand why God would love us so much. I mean, why in the world would God care so much about these flawed people, these hypocritical people, these people who make promises and they don't come through with anything they say or anything they do? Why would God send his son, my goodness, to die on a cross so that they could be forgiven of their sins? It doesn't make any sense to them why God cares about us the way he does. Do you know why it doesn't make any sense? Because they don't get to have the same relationship we get to have with God. We get to have a personal intimate, close relationship with God. But angels, they don't get to have that kind of relationship. But Luke chapter 15 does tell us that when someone repents of their sin and they turn their life over to Jesus, they believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on a cross and he rose again from the dead and they commit their life to him. They want to live for him. The Bible says that the angels in heaven throw a party over that lost person who's now found. I don't know if they wheel out a cake. I don't know if there's a banner. I just know that they party like a 1999, all right? Number six, angels are powerful. And when I talk about powerful, I mean really, really powerful. In Revelation chapter seven, there is a violent wind that is coming upon the earth. And God sends four angels to hold back the wind. That's all it took. Four angels. 
you remember in the book of Genesis, when the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah were so great that God sent down angels to destroy those two cities? And he rescued Lot and his family. They got out of the city. And then burning sulfur came down and consumed those two cities. He sent two angels, just two angels to do that. All right, now that, that's a little bit about them. Here's the question. What do angels do? I can't get into everything that they do. Let me give you the two main things that they do. One is they worship God. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says, I saw the Lord. Imagine this in your, in your mind for a second. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. Above him were seraphs. That's angels. Seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Can you imagine? What were they doing? They were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What's the one characteristic of God that they cry out over and over and over again? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. When we die, we go to heaven because of Jesus. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what he did for us. You don't go to Revelation 21 heaven. You know that, right? There's nobody walking on streets to go, that's the new heaven, the new earth. You go to Revelation chapter 4. That's the throne of God. What's happening in Revelation chapter 4? You ought to read it. It's incredible. There's a huge worship service that's going on. And we're all surrounded by the throne of God. And the 24 elders are there. And we're all singing praise songs to the Lord. What's the praise song that we're singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So angels, they spend every moment of their existence worshiping God. Let me give you the second thing. They're God's messengers. They're God's messengers. Let's just talk just the New Testament for just a second. There's a young girl. She's in her mom and dad's house. She's back in the little area where it's her bedroom when suddenly who appears before her but an angel. And the angel says that she's been chosen by God, that she's highly favored by God, and that she'll give birth to the Son of God. And she has the same question that any woman would have. How is this possible since I'm a virgin? And the angel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, that God will impregnate you with the Son of God. It was an angel that was sent to deliver that message. We know that when Mary finally told Joseph that she was pregnant, but that she hadn't been unfaithful, she hadn't been with another man, that Joseph didn't believe her story, did he? In fact, he was thinking of a way that he was going to get rid of her and end the relationship quietly. When an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him not to be afraid and to take Mary home as his wife. On, on the night that Jesus was born, who lit up the sky? It was angels. It was angels that appeared to the shepherds. It was angels that lit up the sky and said, glory to God in the highest on earth and peace and goodwill towards all men. It was angels. That delivered the news. In Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has been tempted by Satan for 40 days in the wilderness, tempted in every way, yet was without sin, 
who tended to his needs. It was angels that tended to his needs. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story about two people who recently passed away. One guy's name was Lazarus. He was a beggar. The other guy was a rich ruler. They both die on basically the same day. One goes to Hades. The rich man goes to Hades. He's in torment. He's in fire. Lazarus is at the bosom of Abraham. He's in paradise. How did he get there? Jesus said an angel escorted him there. My goodness, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, this isn't optional for you. You know that angels are real. Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying so intensely, sweat drops of blood are pouring from his brow. He hears his accusers come in the distance, and he gets up and he walks the direction of the people who are coming to arrest him. And Jesus asks the question, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And they fell to their knees. And when they got back up again, the disciples realized what was happening. And they weren't about to have Jesus be arrested. So Peter pulls out a sword, doesn't he? And he decides he's going to split in two the head of the high priest's service, Malachus, right? That's what he's going to do, like a pumpkin. But he just misses. And he slices off his ear. What's Jesus do? Picks up the ear, places it back on his head. He just saved Peter from a long jail sentence for attempted murder. Because what's the guy going to say now? That guy tried to kill me. Well, how did he try to kill you? Well, he cut off my ear. And the guy's going to say, which ear? You got both ears. You see what I'm saying? What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, put your sword away. And then he said this. Do you think I can't call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How big's a legion? It's 12,000. Jesus said, all around you, you can't see it. You don't know it, but there's 144,000 angels. And in my mind, they've got their hands on their swords. And they're waiting for one command from Jesus, enough. These people aren't worth it, and I'm not going to do this. Wipe them from the face of the earth, and they would have obliterated every one of us, and we'd have no hope. And we'd have no salvation. Jesus didn't say those words. He went on to die for the sins of all mankind and rise again from the dead. In fact, when he did rise again from the dead, who announced it? It was angels. He said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. So what's the primary purpose of an angel? To worship the Lord and to be his messenger, to do whatever it is that he wants them to do. Now, now what about demons? Where, where did demons come from? Well, this might shock some of you. Demons are fallen angels. Satan rebelled. Isaiah chapter 14 tells us there was a cosmic war that happened in the heavens and that Satan made five I will statements. I will do this and I will do that and I will set myself up on the throne. And he actually, with one third of the angels, attacked God and the other two-thirds of the angels. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you've fallen from heaven, O morning star. That's in reference to Lucifer, Satan, son of the dawn. 
You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nation. Satan was kicked out of heaven, thrown down to the earth. This is how Jesus described it, Luke chapter 10, verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The book of Revelation, it's described this way. Satan is seen as a star that has fallen from the sky to the earth. That's Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, one-third of an innumerable company of angels chose to rebel with Satan against God. And when John gets a vision of what happened, he writes about it in Revelation chapter 12. He says, there was an enormous red dragon. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So where's Satan now? He's on this earth. Where are the fallen angels at now? They are on this earth. You say, what in the world are they doing? They're wreaking havoc. Jesus said this. He says, Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. All you got to do is uh, download your favorite news app, and you'll find that's true. All you got to do is get on the newsreel, the ticky-tocky, and you'll find that that's true, right? All you got to do is turn on your news at any point in time, and you'll find that that's true. There's wars and rumors of wars, isn't there? My goodness, you know how many years of peace we've had since uh, mankind began doing their history? We've had 300 years of peace because there's some government, some evil government, always going against somebody else, trying to destroy them and control them. That happens over and over and over again. Who in the world do you think is behind that? That is definitely Satan is behind those things. And he has willing participants. We'll talk about that in a second. You know who Satan hates more than anything else? He hates Israel more than anything else. And he's going to do everything he can to somehow get the nations to rise up against Israel to try to obliterate them from the face of the earth because that's God's chosen people. Oh, friends, make no mistake about it. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. And you've heard his lies. He comes at us, he tempts us, his demons, they come and they whisper in our ears. They try to make what's wrong right and what's right wrong. They say sex outside of marriage doesn't have any consequences. You're just having a little bit of fun. That white lies aren't lies at all. So you can tell a little yarn over here, or a little yarn over there. It's not that big of a deal to exaggerate that truth, make yourself look better than you really are. They'll tell you that greed is good and that revenge is sweet and they will be relentless they will come at you again and again and again and then when you give in you'll play the part of the fool and you'll know that you were had by them and all along they'll act like it's not a big deal hey man what we're asking you to do not a big deal just go ahead and go for it it's not that big a deal nobody's gonna care nobody's gonna know hey god will forgive you anyway how many times you heard those voices how many times have you known what is wrong and you did it anyway because it looks so stinking good? The Bible says that Satan is an angel of light, that he appears to be something that he's not. He makes promises that he can't cash in on, promises that he can't come through on, and we buy into it all the time, don't we? He's a roaring lion looking to devour you. And you've tangled with him a time or two, haven't you? you got the scars to prove it. 
the regrets and the shame. I know I do. Here's the thing about Satan. You ready for this? He might get a blow in from time to time. But he's a loser. And he knows he's a loser. Let me explain something to you, friends. You're not fighting for a victory. You're fighting from a victory. Satan was defeated when Jesus died on that cross and three days later rose again from the dead. And he knows that his time is short and he's going absolutely nuts. He's in a frenzy because he knows what his end is going to be and he wants to take as many people with him as he possibly can. Look at what Jesus said this. Matthew 25, verse 41. There is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's where he's going to go. You need to be aware that Satan can only be in one place at one time and that Satan is not all powerful. Sometimes we hear messages like this and, and people go a little bit nutty, you know. There's a demon behind everything, you know. There's, that was the demon of pride. Who? That was the demon of lust. Who? That was the demon of gluttony. Made me eat that extra cupcake. I don't know what I was doing. I was just a demon that got hold of me. And everything becomes a demon. Demon here, demon there. Everywhere a demon. That's what it is, right? Little boy was at school and he was acting up. Teacher grabbed a hold of him, shook him. He said, boy, I think a demon's got a hold of you. Little boy looked at the teacher and said, I think so too. <laughs> Listen, they're, they're very well networked. And sometimes it can appear that it's all around us and that we're surrounded by it. No doubt about that. And maybe we are. But I know this. Not everything is Satan's fault. Not every bit of evil is on him. Some of it's on us. Sometimes Satan wasn't even around to tempt you because he has bigger fish to fry, doesn't he? And it wasn't a demon that was messing with you. You were messing with yourself. You were trying to convince yourself to do the wrong thing because you have this thing called the sin nature. Look what the Bible says here in James chapter 1. It says, each one is tempted by his own evil desire. Who, whose evil desire? Satan's evil? No. By his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Oh, they're watching us, and they're taking notes on us, and they know what your weakness is, and I can tell you this, they're going to use everything they can to hit you at your point of weakness. But if you're a Christian, you're going to have to willingly go. Can I say that again? If you're a Christian, you have to willingly want to go. Because there is a power inside you that's greater than any of that. Right? You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. So Satan will come, he'll shoot you at your weakness, and then you will have a decision to make. Which way will you go? So if Satan knows that your greatest weakness is alcohol, he's going to put you in every situation to have to go work with coworkers, and afterwards they all want to go get a drink at a bar. He's going to do everything in his power to get you to go someplace, some, somewhere with somebody who wants to drink alcohol, and then you've got to make a decision. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Which way are you going to go? What are you going to do? You're going to deceive yourself by your own sinful desire and be led astray and end up in a place you don't want to be doing that which you don't want to do? Or are you going to rely upon the power and the presence of God that's greater than? Got pornography issues. Keep going back to the same website. Keep looking at the same smartphone. Keep going to the same pictures, the same videos. Keep going back to the same trash. You can throw that stuff away. 
you can get rid of your computer. You can put a filter on it. You can get rid of the smartphone and get an old school flip phone. You know that, right? But here's the thing. We don't take this very seriously. It's not that big of a deal. Just this one time. I need a release. And you play the part of the fool, and you end up in a place you never should have been, and you chose to do it. You were led astray by your own evil desire. Maybe your greatest weakness is pride. You walk around strutting your stuff thinking you're all that in a box of chicken when everybody knows you're nothing more than a wing, right? You could humble yourself before the Lord. You could live your life with all praise and all glory going to him. That every time something good happens in your life, you give him the praise, you give him the glory. Or you can be led away by your own evil desire and stretch your stuff and act like you're God's gift to everything else. And I promise you, you'll end up in a place you don't want to be. Acting in a way that you don't want to act. You will play the part of the fool. Or you can trust in God in a way you've never trusted him before. You can lean on him in a way you've never leaned on him before. Because this is what the Bible says. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I love James chapter 4, verse 7. It says, submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you notice the Bible never tells us to flee from Satan? Did you get that? He will flee from you. If you trust in God, you lean on God, you submit your will to God's will, he will flee. Because when God exercises his power, Satan wants no part of it. But the choice is yours. Who will you lean on for strength? Who will you turn to in your time of need? Erwin McManus is a pastor in Los Angeles. He tells the story of a time years ago when his son came back from a Christian camp. Put him in the Christian camp in hopes that he would learn something about the Lord. He was excited when he came back. But like most 10-year-olds, he didn't have a whole lot to say about the camp. He said, oh, it was fun. We did this and we did that. And he couldn't get a whole lot of information out of him. Well, it was time to go to bed. And so Erwin was in there giving prayers and kisses and tuck him in. And he would, you know, we did with the same thing all of us parents do. You walk over and you get ready to turn the light out. Well, the little guy, he didn't want the light turned out. And Erwin was shocked. It's like, not like his child has ever been afraid of the dark before. And so he gets ready to turn the light on. He says, Dad, 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 don't, don't turn the light out tonight. Just leave the light on for me, would you? And the dad turned around. And Erwin turned around. He said, what's going on, son? What's the matter? He said, well, they told some stories at camp. And, and I'm a little bit concerned. And Erwin said, well, what kind of stories did they tell? Because if they told ghost stories, well, that would be easy. Because Erwin could just say, listen, there's no such thing as ghost." So you don't need to worry about it. I'll turn the light out. But the kids said they, they told demon stories. Erwin thought, well, that's just great. I should have sent you to a pagan camp where they tell ghost stories at night, but they had to tell you demon stories. He said, what am I supposed to do? Tell them there's no such thing as demons when we all know that there is? What am I supposed to say to my 10-year-old boy? Yeah, son, there's demons everywhere. The prince of darkness is all around us. I'll be honest with you about that. He's up and down the neighborhood, up and down your street. He's in your school. He's right now in your room. He's under your bed. He's in your closet. Hey, good luck. Good night. <laughs> he said, I can't say that. And the little boy began to panic. Tears streaming down his face. He said, Dad, you got to pray for me. You got to pray that I'll be safe, that God will keep me safe. Erwin sat down next to the bed, looked at his son, and he said, I won't do it. I won't pray that God will keep you safe. 
But I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that the demons will flee from your presence and want nothing to do with you. Erwin's son looked at his dad. He said, Dad, pray that God will make me real dangerous. Do <laughs> you take this stuff seriously? Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Most of us walk out into the battlefield every day and we're deceived. Deceived by the news media, deceived by our friends, deceived by what pop culture tells us is in and what's out. And we've got shame and we've got regret because we're walking onto a battlefield completely naked and we're playing the part of a fool. It's time to sober up. It's time to put on the full armor of God and realize that if we could just pull this reality to the spiritual one, if you could just get a glimpse, well, you'd pray like your life depends upon it. And you'd stay as close to God as possible. And every night when you put your head on your pillow, you'd pray, God, make me dangerous. Make me so dangerous that if Satan and his demons ever want to mess with me, that they would flee from my presence because of the power and the grace of your Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Oh, angels and demons are real friends. Believe it or not. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, if we could somehow peel aside this reality to the real reality, the things that are eternal, and we could see the battles that are raging all around us, we would never pray a lame prayer ever again. We would never be casual about your word. And we certainly wouldn't go out onto the battlefield without a weapon or two. Sober us up, Lord. For the battle belongs to you. And we're to follow you in. Be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be difference makers. Help us to know what our weakness is. And to lay that in your hands. That you would make it a strength. And that we would fight with you surrounded by your love and your grace and your goodness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.